Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We're continuing in our study of the parables, and this morning we are looking at God's speedy justice in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Remember, if this is your first time being with us through the parable series, Jesus taught in parables for two main reasons. Number one was to help his people to know more about what the kingdom of God would look like so that those who had believed in Christ would understand more about what his rule and reign looked like. And Jesus said the second reason he taught in parables was to confuse or confound those who did not believe in him so that they might turn to him and ask him uh, what these things meant. And so for us as Christians, these parables teach us in a way God knows we'll be able to understand more about the kingdom of God. And if you're not a Christian here uh, this morning, then I'm encouraging you not to try and figure this out on your own, but to turn to Jesus and to trust in him who's able to explain these things and make sense of them. But what we find here in Luke chapter 18 is the tale of two judges. I want to point out to you early on that what's not happening here is God is not being compared to this judge who's mentioned. God is being contrasted to the judge that's mentioned. You got me? There's a difference between the two. The, the, God, the judge who's mentioned here is going to be contrasted with who God really is in his kingdom, what he looks like as the righteous king and ruler of all creation. Now, it's important for us to know in chapter 18 who he's talking to. Who is Jesus talking to? Well, the last place we see uh, the audience referred to is in Luke chapter uh, 17, verse 22, when it says that Jesus said to the disciples. So we know the disciples are the audience who are being taught And we're told in verse 1 that Jesus told them a parable for a specific reason. Now, here's something we have to deal with on a daily basis. Life isn't fair. And justice rarely comes when you want it to. Um, One of my favorite things to do is to look up on YouTube and find videos that are, uh, they're, they're basically called instant justice. It's when someone broke a law of driving and a cop was around when it happened. And they immediately get pulled over. And one thing I noticed is that every time that happened, every time someone got pulled over who ran a red light and the cop was right there and pulled them over immediately, they loved it. The people around who saw it happen were like, yay, this is awesome, right? Because they saw instant justice. Someone did something illegal. The cop was right there, pulled them immediately over. And there's something gratifying about having instant justice brought to the occasion. But here's the thing. That doesn't happen often in the world we live in. In fact, we see more instances of people running stop signs, never getting caught, which drives me crazy, by the way. And so we... We rarely see justice lived out in front of us. We rarely see it done well. In fact, from our viewpoint, many times it can seem like there's a great delay in justice, even with the way God operates. And sometimes we might be guilty of thinking, well, maybe God's not going to be just at all. I know we don't say that out loud, but in our hearts we, we struggle. Is God really going to bring justice in the right time? We aren't the only ones that feel this way, by the way. I hope you know. If you feel this way, you can echo what Habakkuk writes about. The prophet Habakkuk wrote about why God's justice wasn't happening faster. In fact, he says this. Inquiring of God, Habakkuk said, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? 
Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. See if you ever feel this way. He says, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Anybody ever feel that way? Anybody ever feel like the wicked prosper? You want to know when God's justice is going to finally be brought, when it's going to be brought to bear? We also see the psalmist in Psalm 74 ask God, how long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? The psalmist in Psalm 74 asks God to take his hand from the fold of his garment and destroy them. Ever felt that way? Ever wondered why God doesn't act quicker than what he does? Why he seems to delay in his justice? Well, I think that's the parable that Jesus teaches us is that we don't, lose dis- we don't go to despair and we don't uh, lose heart in the midst of God's patience and in his waiting. We see, though, on these pages the struggle of God's people to understand why the justice of God is delayed or why it seems like he's doing nothing about the violence towards his people. And so in the parable, in Luke 18, we see Jesus, and Jesus is the faithful judge who will rightly judge in his time. Now, Jesus has been teaching on the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is ushered in through his coming, and when he comes, his divine judgment will come quickly with him at his return. But we find ourselves living in this time between the two advents of Jesus. Jesus has come died on the cross, rose again, ascended into heaven, and now we're living in the time where we're waiting for him to come again to finally put away all evil and sin and Satan. And God wants us to be comforted while we wait. Notice the comforting words of Jesus here. Look at verse one. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So as we study this morning, the first thing I want to point out to you is that human beings are marked by fear and prayerlessness. Apart from God, we're marked by fear and prayerlessness. That's who we are. If God doesn't show up in any way, we are marked by fear and prayerlessness. He, I believe he implies that because he says, He told them the parable to the effect of or for the result of God. Jesus is telling us up front, here's what he hopes to achieve by teaching this parable. That they, meaning the disciples, ought always to pray and not lose heart. What does that imply? We're prone not to always pray and we're prone to lose heart. That's not unusual. That's who we are naturally. We're naturally marked by fear and prayerlessness. Jesus knows he's going to leave his disciples. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to rise again. He's going to ascend to heaven. And he knows that his disciples are going to be without him in body. And he knows they're going to struggle through how to live. And Jesus knows that while in danger, in his absence, the people will be tempted to forsake prayer and to fall back into fear. Because apart from Christ, we're not prayerful people. We're not people who are dependent on God. Before I was a Christian, I didn't depend on God. 
I might have said a prayer here and there, you know, like for a meal or something like that if someone forced me to or if I was in a group of people who were going to do it. But I didn't have any dependence on God. I didn't care about God. I wasn't marked by any type of dependence on him. I was marked by, I'll take care of it myself. I got the power to take care of my own life. I'll make my own choices. I'll deal with it myself. No matter what comes my way, I'll just refer to what does, G, what does Jason think needs to happen? I'm, I was prone to find my own way out of the situations I found myself in. Not only that, but apart from Christ, I was prone to fear. Listen, when you stare down the barrel of this life as all there is, that makes daily life unbearable. Because if there's nothing besides this life right here and right now, I'm disappointed. It doesn't mean there's not good things happening in my life, but apart from God, if this life is all I have, this is going to be a miserable walk. And apart from Christ, I had no concept of life after death. I had no concept of eternality. I had no concept of something beyond the grave. And that changes the way you view life itself. And so apart from Jesus, and I know in my own life, I was marked by going by my own power. And I was prone to fear. Everything seemed hopeless. And here's what I think Jesus is teaching us. We as Christians can sometimes fall back into that old life. I know you don't want to admit it here in front of everybody, but sometimes we fall back into prayerlessness. We'll take care of it ourselves. we got our own plan. We'll figure it out. And we fall back into fear, worry, stress. What in the world is going to happen from day to day? We get gripped by fear. We lose sight of what really matters. Because here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to tell a parable that basically says, don't forget I'm coming again. Don't forget that. In everything you do, remember Jesus is coming back. We lose sight of that. We live day-to-day lives not considering the fact that Jesus promised he's going to return. We either believe him or we don't. Jesus teaches the difference between prayerlessness and courage or uh, prayerlessness or fear and being prayerful and courage is to keep your eyes on the return that he's bringing. Consider the privilege we have in prayer, that we get to speak to God and he hears us. And God tells us in his word to be diligent in our prayers. That Romans 12, 12, Colossians 4, 2. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, tell us to always be prayerful, to be praying in all things, that, that prayer is the mark of a believer. And not just prayer, but persistent, dependent prayer is the mark of a believer. And God warns us over and over again to not lose heart. Right? Jesus says, he tells in this parable to the effect they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This isn't the only place that God mentions losing heart. He also mentions it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he talks about the persecutions of life and the things that we face and the trials and the struggles that we run up against. We're prone to lose heart in the midst of all these things. And so Jesus says that the story he shares next is for the purpose of stirring up prayer and courage in his people by reminding us to look to the return of Jesus. So, Here's the goal. 
remember Jesus is coming again. That ought to affect how you live. Jesus is coming again. And he tells us this through a parable of two judges. Look at verse 2. Here's the first one. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. We're introduced to a judge who is the picture of power, the picture of one who rules and reigns. And this judge, we're told, was a judge who did not fear God or respect man. This judge in the story does not revere God at all, does not, does not see him as great, and also doesn't respect man, which I would tell you is the natural outworking. If you, if you do not revere God, you also won't revere or respect his created ones. So this is one who not only had a low view of God, the creator, but this judge also had a low view of humanity. So he's not a righteous judge. In fact, he's a judge who's marked by something completely different. He isn't motivated by love when he judges. He's not motivated by love for God nor love for any human being. Just so you know, this is the world picture of judging. Why would we put our trust in that as our ultimate hope? Not only do we hear about the judge, we hear about a widow. A widow who is continually coming to the judge seeking justice against her adversary. Now, widows are referred to often in the scriptures. Usually these were referring to the women who had been widowed. And just so you know, back in those days, you, you, the widows weren't necessarily older in years. Many of the widows were younger because they didn't live as long. But we find widows in the scriptures, and when widows are described, they are a picture in the Bible of helplessness and vulnerability. Whenever you see widows mentioned, it's usually referring to the helpless situation they find themselves in, the poverty that marks their life, and the vulnerability to others. Because in, the biblical, in biblical times, a widow was truly dependent on others to help her. Not only that, not only does God refer to widows in his, world, in his word, but God also speaks of his special love he has for them. Just so you know, God has special affection for the needy and the broken and the vulnerable and the helpless. And this widow comes to this judge over and over again, and the judge reveals his character to us because we're told that he repeatedly refused. It says, for a while he refused. That means a while. That means the widow didn't just come once asking for deliverance. She came again and again and again asking the judge for deliverance from the adversary who was against her. The judge repeatedly refuses her for a while. But then we're told in verse 4, but afterward he said to himself this. So there's a change in the story. While he has put off justice for her, something's about to change. He says, I will give her justice says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice 
so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. What is the motivation for the judge bringing justice? I want her to stop coming to me over and over. She's driving me crazy. Right? This is... Anyone as a parent ever done this? As a parent or as a grandparent? Have you ever brought justice simply so they would stop it? <laughs> you ever started laying down the law without any care for whether it was really just or not? You just wanted them to stop bothering you? This judge re reveals his character because he's not motivated by a love for God or a love for the widow. He just wants her to stop bugging him. He'll bring justice to this widow, but not because he loves justice, but rather he says because she keeps bothering me, which means to make him to work. He doesn't like being forced to work all the time, so he's going to bring her justice so she'll stop. He'll give her justice not because he loves God or the widow, but so that she will stop, as he puts it, beating him down. The judge isn't motivated by fairness or a desire to set right a wrong. He's motivated by selfishness. I want her to stop. Now, in contrast to that judge, verse 6 tells us of another and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. So he calls his disciples to listen intently to what the unrighteous judge just did. What that, what that unrighteous judge just did, listen to that. Because what Jesus is about to share is going to be a contrast to that. Notice how that judge acted simply out of selfish reasons. Because he wasn't in love with God. Wasn't in, didn't have a love for the widow. He just simply wanted her to stop. Now there's a different judge. In contrast to the unrighteous judge, we see the righteous judge. Verse 6, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Jesus says, consider this unrighteous judge. Now, was he motivated by a love for God? Was he motivated by a love for the widow? No. But what did he still bring? Justice, right? He still brought justice, even if he did it for, uh, for improper motives. He still brought justice. Now, consider, Jesus says, will not God give justice to his elect? If this unrighteous judge will finally bring justice... To this widow, not because he loves God, not because he loves the widow, but simply for an improper motive. If he'll bring justice, consider God, who is not only a judge, he's the judge, and he's the righteous judge. If an unrighteous judge will still bring justice for this widow, can you imagine the justice God will bring to his elect, his chosen people. Imagine the justice God brings because God does not act out of improper motives. God acts out of righteousness. He always does the right thing. Now listen, the reason why Jesus is sharing this 
is because there's a perceived delay in God's justice. And the question that arises whenever God doesn't move like we want him to is to begin to question whether he really is righteous or whether he cares at all. And what Jesus wants us to see is that the Father, he reigns righteously. That Christ as the Son of God is the righteous judge. That God is not like this unrighteous judge who finally brings justice in the midst of, uh, of, of continued requests. God is the one who brings justice because he loves to bring justice. Not begrudgingly, but he brings it because he loves his people and he loves righteousness. It's who he is. He can't help but act that way. So here's the thing. Notice the widow asked the unrighteous judge over and over again. Have you ever, anybody in this room, ever been praying for something over and over and over and over and over again? Have you ever found yourself praying to God over and over again about the same thing, petitioning him for days, months, or years? Have you ever struggled when in the midst of your persistent prayers, God hasn't answered in the timing or in the way you desired him to? What will that lead many people to do? Lose faith, despair, right, which was the fear. Become angry, bitter. Quit praying. Remember, Jesus is teaching us this parable that they ought always to pray, verse 1, and not lose heart. What's his purpose behind telling the parable? That his believers, that his Christians, the elect ones, the ones who have been chosen by God, that they will not stop praying and they will not lose heart. That's what he desires for them. And so Jesus is teaching them about the rightful judge, right? Because he knows in the midst of our petitioning him, we're going to get prone to want to stop praying. God's not answering the way we want him to, right? So why continue? But Jesus doesn't call us to give up praying. He calls us to keep praying. That we're to continue to beckon God to act and move. Not because he's reluctant to give justice, but he's glad to give justice in his timing. Now John Piper brings up an interesting point. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, there is a warning about prayer. And that warning about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, is that we would not be caught in the vain repetitions. In Matthew chapter 6, we see the picture of those who vainly continue to petition. He says when Jesus is teaching about prayer, when you pray, verse 5 of Matthew 6, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, 
For they think they will be heard for their many words. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, so in the parable of the persistent widow, we find that she's repeatedly asking for deliverance. She's repeatedly requesting from the judge some type of action. What's the difference between that and the vain repetitions or the empty phrases heaped up by the Gentiles? who continue, who think that they will be heard for their many words. What's the difference between vain repetition and prayerfulness? Well, John Piper mentions two things that I think are important. Number one, he says, in those vain repetitions, they suppose that they will be heard because they lift up many words. Basically, what that means is they hope to coerce God. If we just pray enough and in the right way, we will coerce God to act on our behalf and in our favor. So just so you know, if you're trying to use prayer to coerce God to act in the way you want him to, just so you know, God will not be coerced. God has a plan, and he's lovingly unfolding that plan, but we will not be able to bend the hand of God against what he desires to do. See, so many times prayer to God is viewed as if it's some kind of vending machine. You go up, you put your quarter in, you say your words, and you push the button of what you want God to do, and he's supposed to kick it out to you in a manageable time. Just so you know, God doesn't need your quarter. He doesn't need you pushing buttons. He doesn't need you to coerce him in any way. God is happy to work and move in accordance to his will however he wishes. And so we don't pray to bend God's hand against what he would plan to do for our favor. And what the Gentiles hoped to do was if they said enough words, God would have to act. Number two, we're told in in Matthew 6, verse 8, that God knows what we need before we ask it. So just so you know, we don't pray to God to inform him on what's going on in our lives. We don't pray to God to make him aware of the situations. Just so you know, God is completely aware of every circumstance, every situation, every thought, every motive. God does not need to be brought up to speed on anything. And when we're praying, we're not coming to God to go, we just want to fill you in real quick on what's been going on down here. Those are the vain repetitions. That somehow God is uninformed and we must let him know how he is to act. That's not what the widow is doing. The widow is not trying to coerce. The widow is is not trying to to, uh, inform someone of something that they didn't know about. God, as the righteous judge, knows these things. He knows what we need. He loves us. And if this unrighteous judge will provide for the widow, even out of wrong motives, imagine the righteous God and how he responds to his chosen people. How much love he displays over them. Notice what Jesus says. He asks a rhetorical question. Actually, a couple of them. First, he says, will God, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? What's the implied answer? God will give justice to his elect. If you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about whether justice will be brought. God promises it will. Because it's his character, it's who he is. He can't operate unjustly. 
That's important to remember when God doesn't act in the time frame we wish him to. God's not wrong in delaying. He is righteous. Jesus gives another rhetorical question. Will he delay, will he delay long over them? Another way to phrase that is, will God be patient much longer as he sees his elect suffer? The implied answer is no. It will not be long. God will act. Notice what he says next. Verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them. How? Speedily. Okay. <laughs> You're sitting here going, Jason, that's not how God operates. Uh, listen, bro, I've been a Christian for a long time. God does not act speedily. Yes, he does. From our perspective, it doesn't look like it, but just so you know, God is acting speedily. Uh, and, and Jesus asked the question, will he delay long over them? Is God going to be patient for much longer? No. God's going to act swiftly. At, at Jesus' second coming, God is going to act swiftly with justice and righteousness, and it's not going to be long. Now, I hate to break it to you. When was this written? Long, that's a cheating answer. Long time ago. Over 2,000 years ago. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said that God's justice would come speedily. Two thousand years ago. <laughs> Just so you know, God's on a different time frame than we are. Speedily to God is different than speedily to us. But God promises He's acting speedily with justice, and He will bring it. And it will be brought in the day of Christ's return. We should consider the promise of Jesus that when he returns, he's bringing with him swift justice. And so knowing and trusting that Jesus will bring with him swift justice gives fuel to our persistent, dependent prayer on God and our God-centered courage. We, we continue in prayer and we're courageous. We don't fear because Jesus is coming again and when he comes, he's bringing speedy justice. Doesn't feel like that every day, but that's why God's word has to remind us of how he operates, that God operates in different time frames than we do. Second Peter chapter 3, remember we read this just a little while ago. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as how many years? A thousand. And a thousand years is as one day. You notice the time frame difference between how God views time and how we do? That for God, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. And then Peter goes on to tell us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What is the purpose behind God's delay in justice? Because if God acted with swift justice at all times in the way we think he should, none of us would be alive right now. We'd all be cast into hell the moment we sin. 
Just so you know, we don't like God's speedy justice until we think about what we deserve. Listen, when I think about the fact that I deserve nothing but everlasting punishment because of my sin, I'm really thankful that God didn't smite me the first time I sinned. I'm really thankful for his patient delay when it comes to those things. God's heart behind his delay is not because he doesn't care about sin. It's not because he's indifferent towards your hurt and your pain. It's not as if he doesn't care or he's unknowing of what's happening to us. God's purposeful delay is that we might repent and trust in him. And every day he delays is an opportunity for someone to trust in him. And I'm grateful that God delayed long enough for me to be rescued. Is God unfair in that? No way. In fact, he is supremely gracious in his delay. But do not presume that his patience will go on forever. There's coming a day when Jesus will return and justice will be brought speedily and all wrongs will be made right. And all of creation will be restored back to the way God intended for it to be. In the absence of sin, no longer separation from God, no longer under the rule and dominion of Satan, but completely under the rule and perfect dwelling and righteousness with God. That is sweet news. That means that the delay is purposeful. God's delaying so that others might repent, but one day that delay will stop and he will come again. And so we persist on in prayer, not because we believe God is somehow, we're going to coerce him, and if we just say it enough, he'll finally act, or that he misses some information that we got to give him. We continue to pray because we want God to come back. We want Jesus to return quickly, that justice might be brought. So our prayers are infused with a view of eternity, of the fact that Jesus is coming again and we want that day to come as soon as possible. So the problem doesn't lie with God's justice, but with our limited perspectives. We don't see the whole picture and we don't see how God sees. And we're prone to give up praying, we're prone to fear. And what God's word reminds us over and over again of, don't fear, keep praying. Because God is coming again as the righteous king. I hope that I might turn your eyes to Psalm 22, verses 22 through 26, where the psalmist writes, I will tell your name, meaning the name of God, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And catch this, he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. God hears our cries and believe me he is acting upon them God's not dull to hear he listens to the pleas of his chosen ones and he's going to act in righteousness towards his people Jesus tells us in verse 8 I tell you he will give justice to them speedily nevertheless when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So what does Jesus say? The Son of Man is going to come, but when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
Well, the answer to that question kind of rings, yeah, he'll find faith on the earth, but it may not be much. It may be like in Noah's day where only eight are loaded up on the ark. Will God find faith when he arrives? When Jesus comes back again, will he find faith in people? People believing in him? Yes. But it may not be many. But God acts on behalf of his children. He will not overlook them. So what's the call to us? Rest in Jesus. And we rest in Jesus by praying constantly and not fearing. I hope that for all of us. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I want you to understand that God in his justice will treat people as they deserve to be treated. If you're an unbeliever, that's a scary thought. That God will rightly punish you for your sin which is his wrath poured out for all eternity. That's why we need Jesus. It's because no amount of good work and effort can erase the debt we owe to God for our sin against him. We need Jesus, not just once in our lives, but we need him every day because we continue to sin and we need him. And if you're here this morning and you're trying to earn your way to heaven, I want you to see clearly that you cannot do enough to earn God's forgiveness, but he gives it graciously and lovingly to those who trust in him. So my call to you this morning is to not delay a day longer. Remember, do not presume upon the patience of God. He can come back whenever he wishes to. Don't delay. If you're trusting in yourself, I'm pleading with you this morning to not leave here until you have turned away from sin, you have seen the, the lies that sin brings, that it will not bring ultimate joy, it will not bring ultimate satisfaction, to turn away from sin and to turn to Christ who promises ultimate joy in himself as he forgives our sin and cleanses us from unrighteousness because of his death on the cross in our place. That when he died on the cross, he was dying for our sin, taking our punishment. You need to trust in Jesus, not in your own hands. And as Christians, can I point something out to us? We're the needy widow. In this parable, the needy widow is us. And we cry out to God. God, bring justice. God, set all wrongs right. God, act to show the beauty of your name. We're the needy widow pleading to God to set all things right. We do that because we know that as the needy widow, we cannot bring justice on our own. The righteous judge has promised justice in his time, at his return, and so we rest through prayer in the perfect arms of Jesus, trusting the goodness of all his ways. The call of the Bible, of Christ to his children, don't lose heart. He's coming again. Our judge isn't unrighteous and he isn't uncaring. He is supremely right and supremely loving. There is no better place to rest than in the promises of Christ. That he will act justly at his return. So we find ourselves praying our guts out. Jesus, come quickly.
Jesus, come quickly. Jesus, come quickly. And help us not to lose heart. Help us to have boldness and courage in a world that is marked by injustice. Let us rest in the arms of Christ who promises that he's bringing justice swiftly at his return. We don't have to get it on our own. We wait for the rightful king to bring it. So keep praying. If you've prayed a thousand times for something, don't stop. Don't give up. It's not because he's inattentive. It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he doesn't know. Keep praying, but pray with the return of Jesus in sight. Don't pray in despair of there's no hope. Pray knowing that Jesus is coming again, and he will usher in his perfect kingdom in righteousness. Let's rest in him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact you tell us that you are the righteous king. And God, while we live in a world filled with unrighteousness, and and God, we live with leaders and judges who don't act rightly or don't know what is even right, Lord, I'm thankful that you are right in all your dealings, that everything that comes from your hands is purposeful and it's for our good. God, I thank you that you are righteous. You can't do anything but act rightly. And so, Father, we rest in you today. Help us as Christians to not give up in prayer, to not grow fearful. But, God, help us as Christians to plead in regular prayer to you because we believe you are the righteous judge who will act. And we believe you love to answer the prayers of your people. Lord, help us not to forsake what you've called us to. And Lord, help us to live with boldness, pointing others to the good news that you are the righteous judge who will set all things right. Lord, we are in desperate need of you. We need you to act among us. We need you to calm our hearts and our fears. And God, we need you to push us to further trust in you. So God, until your son returns, help us to be diligent in prayer. Help us to not be fearful. Help us, God, to keep our eyes fixed on the return of your son. That in that return is all our hope and all of our joy. Help us as Christians to live life anticipating that day. And Lord, help those who are among us this morning who are trusting in their own efforts, who aren't trusting in you. God, point them to their desperate need for your rescue, the rescue that's found only in your life, death, and resurrection on their behalf. Draw them to yourself, God. Save them this morning. I ask you, God, to act so that your name would be made great. Lord, may you receive glory as we respond to you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.